electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Steve Grasso, David Seberg, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast. Forget about crypto. The real action is in pot stocks. They're on fire. We'll head down to Hollywood, Florida, talk to the managers of the one of the only pot ETFs and why he thinks this trade will light up. Plus, a major drug deal on Wall Street sending shares of Juno through the roof. Which biotech stock could be the next buyout target? The traders tell you what could be the next match made in heaven. But first, we start off with Netflix earnings. Check out the shares of the streaming giant having a parabolic move in the after-hour session, up more than 9% right now. And it's been anything but a strange for the maker of the hit Stranger Things and some music. The stock is at an all-time high, up 19% this year alone, up a whopping 64% in the past year. It's now got a market cap of $100 billion. The company's smashing expectations for subscriber growth. It looks like the, un- the unbreakable stock. So do you just keep it simple? You just keep buying? Guy, what do you do? Yes, is the answer to that question. Wow. And I think it's something we've said all along. I mean, we're not, we haven't really wavered on Netflix all that much. You know, international numbers are crazy. Total net ad, 6.36 million. The street was looking for, I think, 5 million. So that's ridiculous. But guess what? Even domestically, they're growing. Almost 2 million net ads. The street is at 1.2. So just when you think they can't grow anymore here in the United States, they continue to grow. What does it mean? It means they absolutely have a moat. And yes, I get it. You can replicate Netflix, and it can be commoditized. But again, I've said it many times. People aren't saying, let's go Hulu and whatever you people do. It's all Netflix and chill and all that stuff. Netflix and everybody else, and that's why people are running to try to get in the same business, but they're about five years too late. I would like to to put forth that other people, you people, as you put it, you can do both. You can, or you could do all three. Right. And I think that's what sort of what was the surprising thing about this whole thing is that there is growth in the U.S., even as the others may be growing as well. Yeah, so, I, I mean, North America, we pretty much thought that was saturated. So this last few quarters has kind of, uh, you know, kind of put that out to pasture. I think that international growth is the most important thing. So for the first quarter now, I think this is the closest as far as revenue contribution between the U.S. and outside the U.S. It was like 1.6 to 1.55 or something like that uh, billion. Um, so to me, what's really important, though, is that international is costing them a lot more to grow there, okay? So, you know, this is a company that five, $524 million in net Negative cash flow. Okay, so you get two billion, you know, subs increase. You get a ten percent bump, a ten billion dollar increase in market cap, but your free cash flow is the the negative is increasing. So to me, you know, I can't help you here. The stock's up thirty percent on the year. I don't think you keep buying here. If you didn't come in on Jan first and say, you know what, this was going to be the year in Netflix, and now it's up thirty percent, I don't think January twenty second. Plus, it's up thirty eight percent from when Disney was putting the nails in their coffin. So to Guy's point. You don't have to just buy this one. You, you could buy all of them. I, I think they do have pricing power. There's not a, I just look at it as a recurring expense. I don't even check it anymore. I mean, it would have to increase in price dramatically before I cancel What's this subscription. What's five bucks? Um, no, we'll probably have to double, to be honest huh? with you, before, before I would cancel it. I think we're going to go from cutting the cord to everyone owning five or six of these over-the-top plays. So 
They, they can continue to play the sub-growth expectations game for a long time and, and just, just upside the street. I mean, you look at their penetrations in the U.S., and that's why we say the U.S. number to see an upside to, to, to that is significant because they have 53 percent penetration coming into this quarter, only 12 percent internationally. So you have a, a play in expectations game, if you will, for Netflix from a sub-growth perspective for a very long time. I'm very shocked they blow out numbers this way. It's very positive, in my opinion. And to see them raise guidance, especially, uh, you know, revenue guidance in the face of an Olympic quarter, I mean, usually they try to guide down in that scenario. So for me, it's a very, very bullish quarter. Talking about blowing out expectations, they also blew out expectations when it comes to the total loss for the year, which is, this is going to sound right. nuts. The total loss for the year came in at? Two billion dollars, right, which is better than the two to matter. two and a half billion it, that they had guided for for the year prior. But here's the thing: you look at Amazon. Perfect example. Amazon's got a spend problem still. They're going out and spending, but the difference is it's showing up in top line right. revenue. Here, it's showing up in subscriber growth. It's showing up in penetration. That's all the growth manager cares about, and that's why they're sticking with the story. Yeah, that's what Dan is right. It's costing them more to get each subscription. I understand. I think everybody. Well, not everybody gets it. Dan makes a great point, but it's a land grab, and they're winning at the game without right. question. So. Are they at five years from now, three to five years from now, will they be able to turn that knob up to Steve's point? I think absolutely well, they will, and people won't move. Don't you think they have to do something else? We've talked about it on the desk a little bit. I mean, at some point, you know, Spotify is coming to market, a $20 billion valuation or so. At some point, I mean, uh, you know, Netflix has double the gross margins that, that Spotify does. So to me, I think they're going to actually have to expand horizontally. They're going to want something other than streaming video, and it could be they, streaming they might, music yeah. and try to bring they, those they margins might, up. So to me, that would be something that I would use my currency. I just gained $10 billion in market cap mm -hmm. today. I'd go out and buy Spotify. All the information they that they're getting when, when they know what we all watch collectively on this desk, I think right. somehow that's going to make them a lot more efficient in curating well, uh, content. content abroad. But when you look at it, have they priced themselves out of M&A? There's still probably one person or two that could take them out. That's I think, is still in the cards for them as well. Apple. Apple, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's the first name that comes to everyone's mind is Apple. Yeah. But I think that's the wild card. I think they're the growth. And even though they're losing money, I, th I, th I still think that they're the behemoth in the room. So, you got to watch what happens tomorrow with earnings expectations and what the street does for, as a reaction to this. Because I can tell you, they blew out the highest end expectations from, from a street you know, estimates perspective. It's going to be very interesting to see after the call what these sell-side analysts do with their earnings expectations going forward. I mean, more broadly, for all the other media players, what they are all trying to do is to be in competition with or emulate the Netflix model. So doesn't that speak volumes in terms of where Netflix is at this point? That was, that's, been, that's been one yeah. of the points I made all along, which is one of the reasons why everybody was trying to get that other 30% of Hulu that was sort of floating out right. there with that Fox deal. I mean, say what you want about Hulu. That's what I think they were trying to build off of. And now Disney it has it. Can Disney compete with Netflix? Yeah, in name, I guess, Disney can. But in terms of how far an advantage they have and, and, and in terms of the land grab they've already done over the last eight to ten years, Disney's, Disney's yeah. not even close. close. And I don't think they're within five years of being close. It's, really? It's yeah. one word. It's scale. And we talk about it all the time on the show, how difficult it is to compete with those companies that are creating this scale, this sort of monstrosity, if you will, of a user base. But Facebook's they, but they got will. It. People Netflix will get Disney's it. product. People will get that. I, I mean, it, it's going to bastardize at a certain point, but people will get 
two of those products, or they'll get three, or they'll get four, and they'll stop and they'll cut their normal traditional lines, and they'll have five of these over-the-top places. So there's room enough for everybody. Yeah, by the way, Roku shares are up in the after-hour session as well. They're up by about 3%. Yeah, I think it's important to put some stuff in context here. So we have Netflix over $100 billion in market cap. Disney's $167 billion. Disney's going to have $60 billion in sales this year. And Netflix is, what, like a quarter of that? So to me, at the end of the day, they're in two different categories. It is a valuation gap here. So if everybody's going to do what Disney's going to do in 2019 and pull their content, that means that Netflix catalog in a few years is going to be much less. They're going to be much more dependent on original content in this release. Uh, Reed Hastings did speak to Amazon Studios, Apple, all yes. the, you know, I mean, this is a huge thing. So right now, you know, we're in a market that doesn't care about valuation. It cares about growth of certain metrics. And that's showing up in all of these high valuation stocks. At some point, it's going to matter. doesn't matter right now. Right. All right. For more on Netflix, as well as the FANG stocks in general, let's get to the chart master, Carter Worth. A cornerstone macro, he's at the plasma with an instant earnings reaction. Hi, Carter. Hi there. I thought we'd start with the chart uh, from midday and then put in uh, the after hours action in the context of the chart. Now, just take a look at this and look how orderly this trend is over the last two years. I'm not going to draw on it. Let's go to the after hours now and see where this stock is printing. Um, what we know is 248 spot 55. Now, it actually hit a high on my way over here of 249 spot 95, or call that 250. Let's go back to that chart. And uh, fascinating, meaning this has literally stopped to the penny at the top of this channel, and then at the bottom to the penny, and then at the bottom, and then at the top, and then at the bottom, and then at the top, and the bottom, and the bottom. If you took that up to Harvard Business School or down to Wharton, I can't explain it, because it's not explicable, not in terms of DCF or enterprise value, but uh, and here's the best part. Guess where it's printing? The top of the channel is 251. Literally, we're at 250. So now you've got to figure out who you are in the market. If you're a short-term player, you sell it. It's at the top of the channel. If you want to hold for three years and you think it doubles and beats Disney, God bless. But here and now, it is right to a level where the presumption is it will also start to run out of gas. Not in a bad way, but in a big hit. Profits, all good, whatever you like, but book your gains. Now, let's go broader. Um, let's talk about sort of the the big winners. These are the top five stocks. And then, of course, Netflix is a piker relative to all these things that are three and 400 and 800 billion. So I've got the top five stocks in the S&P plus Netflix. Let's plot them as one security. They're valued at 3.7 trillion. Those six names are 14% of the entire market. Here's the group chart. Oh, sorry. Um, well, this is a different stat. We can, well, this is actually worth looking at. Let's pause on this for a second. Before we get to the charts, look at this. These Top five, top six names have a price to cash flow of 28.7 for those who care about the fundamentals versus the bottom 250 stocks, things like Chipotle and Foot Locker. So you could dig around in the trash or you could just stick with the winners for the same price. All right, let's go to some charts. So here is that basket of six stocks plotted equal weight. Again, a beautiful uptrend. It's actually not even getting steeper. It's just on trend and it's as you see here, it's bounced, it's bounced, it's bounced, it's bounced, and it's just bouncing now. I don't see any real trouble here. In fact, I would think you can get sort of closer to the top of the channel. I want to stay long uh, this group. Now, most important, the thought would be that maybe they're overowned, overbought. I would say this one chart argues otherwise. That's the top six plotted equal weight, and this is relative performance to the actual tech sector. They've made no progress to the tech sector in two years. 
So if you were crowded and overbought, you're not even outperforming the market. I think ultimately this is a heads you win, tails you win. This breaks out relative. I want to stay long this group and expect what happened today in Netflix possibly to happen to the others. Wow. Carter, come on over. Yeah. Yeah. Giddy up. No doubt about that. Karen, thanks for bringing the chair over. So, yeah, <laughs> I love that. When you take a look at that Netflix chart with the channel, yeah. what will it take to convince you that Netflix is actually going to break out of that channel? Well, what we know is there's, there's a lot of wisdom in price, right? And so news was released, and thousands of men hours, women's hours, have already gone into figuring this out. Analysts at Goldman Sachs and J.B. Morgan, buy-siders from George Soros on down, have all come to a judgment. And why are they pricing it right at 250 I mean, they're doing the work, right? It basically belongs at the top of the channel. I would think you get very little follow-through from here. So if you're a short-term player, you're at the top of a channel that's persisted from 80 to 250, right? Calls, uh, sell. If you're a long-term player and you believe, again, it's going to kill Disney and take everyone's line, stay with it. But you've got to know who you are in the market. Short-term traders, I would sell into the move to the top of the channel. Carter, understanding that over time, the bottom of the channel will change in price. If we fail here at 250, where do we trade down to in terms of fulfilling the bottom end? Right, I mean, chain? what would be a normal give back? Why couldn't you give back 5 or 7%? Or but, but the main thing is, before we figure out the downside, I think we've got to try to see if we can eliminate the upside. And I think that the market, in its wisdom, has repriced this, reset the security to a level where it belongs. And from here, it's either a lot of backing and filling, I would think, or some backing away. Carter, when you look at those names that you just brought up, these names that always garner the most attention, the, the names that are a big percentage of the, of the overall market, do you ever look at the underperformers? I, I know it's sort of, uh, I'm not there. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Do you ever look at energy as opposed to tech, or is it rinse and repeat for the last couple of years? No, I mean, sure. There's, there, look, there's two, in principle, there's the best opportunities to win on the long side come from either winners that keep winning or finding the reciprocal, a great loser that's actually starting to bottom. So energy has, is in that circumstance versus things that are just in the middle and have no character. Uh, Carter, which one is the least steep of the five that have yet to report? I mean, to me, I'm kind of going to go with the Facebook, but I... I'm, yeah, uh, well, so, uh, or Apple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Apple. Amazon's getting a little steep. Uh, Microsoft's getting a but, bit but steep. But you think, you think Apple and Facebook have actually kind of held this consolidation and could be ripe for, you know, on a beat and a raise and, for a gap? And I would think so. And also, interestingly, Facebook had that bad drop in gap, right, news-related or not, and it's climbing back. Yeah, I, I, I like Apple. I think that's maybe going to be the one that surprises Carter, thank you. Thanks, guys. Carter Worth of Cornerstone. Would you see, buy it? See what he does at the, I mean, he is at the, the pinnacle. The oh, he's at the, the pinnacle, so yes. he exceeds all he the rest. He exceeds, yes. Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> Sorry, yes. No. Would you buy Netflix here? Even well, he though, scares me. Yeah. Listen, his, he's spot on with his levels, and it is scary to buy it here at 250 Understanding that that level is exactly any the top more scary than it channel. was at 200, though, and that's, well, that's more the case so that now, you made. More so no, now but, than. But I mean, this yeah. this is something where I think Carter mentioned it. If you're looking at a short-term trade, right. you sell it. If you're looking at the next three years, then maybe you stay long a piece. Yeah, I mean, I think you could stick with the story here. Look, yesterday you asked me the question. I never expected them to blow out the way they did. This is a blowout scenario where you have to stick with this trade. I'm not running out tomorrow morning and buying the stock. I'm going to look for it to settle back a little bit, maybe wait a day or two. But ultimately, this will continue to work. I think. All right, coming up, check out shares at TD Ameritrade. Stock surging after hours. So is the retail trader here to stay? We've got those details. Plus, while crypto gets crushed, another speculative trade is heating up. Hot stocks. We will head to Hollywood, Florida in the ETF conference to talk to the head of one of the largest marijuana ETFs to find out what is behind the buzz. 
And later, Dan Nathan is so excited about one stock, he cannot wait to step up to the plate to give us a fast pitch. What's got him so amped up? He'll give us the name and the trade much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on TD Ameritrade. Let's get to Leslie Picker in the newsroom for the details. Hey, Les. Hey, Melissa. That's right. You said it right before the break. The retail investor is interested in the stock market, and their engagement is helping TD Ameritrade beat on both the top and bottom line for the first quarter of the year. Uh, the company reporting client assets of about $1.2 trillion. That's up 48% year over year. And net new assets within that about $26.5 billion. That beat estimates by about $300 million. Now, the president and CEO Tim Hockey credits investor engagement with a few things, and he says in today's statement that, quote, enhanced consumer interest in blockchain and cannabis-related securities drove a further surge in engagement in the final weeks of the quarter, particularly among first-time investors. That was the, in his first quote in the press release today. Now, there is one pain point that I should... Uh, point out average commissions per trade about seven point five four dollars versus seven point seven two dollars in the fourth quarter so we're seeing a little bit of a tick down in commissions per trade but it's the first full quarter after closing the acquisition of Scott trade and the company said that has helped with earnings and scale uh, also the company announcing today this is very interesting a 24-hour trading period that they're going to allow for trades of about 12 ETH five days a week for 24 hours. So no longer are we seeing, you know, just market open, market closed, 24 hours a day. Uh, back over to you, Melissa. 12 ETFs. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker back at headquarters. What does that do? I mean, that's amazing. If you can trade even a basket, a small basket of ETFs, some, something breaks in the after-hour session, sure. you can go out and put on some sort of position in at least those ETFs. I, I think the fact that there's more ETFs than there are single stocks these days, it's such a passive investing world. And the more you can trade, the more access, the more liquidity when things either go wrong or go right or are in the news to the point of cannabis and Bitcoin. This makes this a much more attractive. And let's not forget a rising rate environment helps a company like this. Look, a perfect uh, you know, playbook for this is the cryptos. All the cryptos and the way they're set up, they trade 24 hours. And you have investors going in there, retail investors, individual investors, trading those like crazy after market close hours. So there's no reason why it shouldn't work out for the ETF market. All right, let's move on here. Checkout shares a win, topping the tape today. The stock's surging to its highest level since November 2014 after better than expected earnings. And the casino stocks, they've been on fire. MGM up 29% in the past year. Las Vegas Sands up 38%. Malco Resorts up nearly 80%. The big winner, win, up a whopping 115% in the past year. Should you keep betting on win, Guy? This is sort of, well, it's not Las Vegas. It's not uh, Netflix, excuse me, but it's similar in that the move has been ridiculous. Valuation, you can make an argument that it's stretched, but I would say, you know, you have EPS growth of close to 30%. It's trading around 30 times forward earnings, and they have tremendous growth in Macau. I tell you, if you want to really have a, a critical look at this quarter, Las Vegas was a little bit disappointing, and if you remember when we were there, whenever we May. were there, May, May. May. Yeah. Mr. Wynn specifically talked about Las Vegas, but I'm, I don't want to nitpick. I still think there's room to the upside. It's very hard to continue to stay with these names, but ever since he bought his own stock when it was trading 54 or so 
early 2016, name's been off to the races. You know, I would just say it's interesting. So what you're referring to is that uh, I think Steve Wynn said he had never been or it, it had been years since he was this optimistic yes. about Las Vegas. And so I think what you had over the last year and a half with Macau, you had a V-bottom, right? It overshot to the downside and then it came back really hard. So I wouldn't take one quarter in Las Vegas and draw too much out of it because they're creating that whole new property there. I mean, so to me, you may finally have a barbelled approach to Vegas and Macau with this if they could even out what was uh, Macau, like 70% of sales? It was, sort of it was trending that way yeah. when we were there, and I think yeah. it's north of 70 now. What's interesting, though, is Wynn is up 15% year to date. Las Vegas Sands is up 10%, but MGM, to the point you guys are making, is more heavily weighted to Las Vegas, and that's up 11% or, right, or, or thereabouts. So it's something with the casino names that are attracting money flow. So it's not just it was Macau that got it going. It was Macau last year in the last couple of years, but I think now it's becoming a casino event. Did it strike you that we went from talking about TD Ameritrade and the appetite of the retail investor mm. to casinos and the appetite for gambling? Right. Is that connected? And, and crypto. It's the same. And crypto, right, and, and pot stocks. I mean, that's, yeah. what the, that's what Tim Hockey mentioned in that release now, for look, TD. It's the same thing. I mean, the same people trading in, the, in both venues, if you will. But I look at it and say we have a global growth recovery. We've got China doing incredibly well. You've got the stock market at all-time highs. There's no reason why the casino stocks shouldn't continue to work in that environment. Sounds like a search for return. Well, you guys all know right? the saying that the stock market <laughs> is the everywhere biggest casino in the world. Correct. Just, well, we all love it. Yeah. I heard just, that's a good one, Dan. Can I use that? Maybe? I didn't make it up, dude. Uh, trust me. Just dude. Trust me. <laughs> Coming up, Twitter's thinking about 8% in the past week, and now a top executive could be about to jump ship. We'll give you the latest. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Matchmaker, matchmaker, look through your book. And make me a perfect match. And with biotech M&A heating up, our traders have a number of names that could be a perfect match. We'll break it down. Plus, while Bitcoin is getting crushed, another risky asset is on fire. And here's a hint. We'll head down to the largest ETF conference to talk to the sponsor of one of the biggest pot ETFs when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks are flying high. A number of cannabis-related names feeling the buzz in the past month. Aurora Cannabis, Kronos Group, Emerald Health, and others moving higher. So can investors expect more marijuana ETFs to hit the marketplace? Let's get to Bob Bassani at the Inside ETFs conference in Hollywood, Florida. He's got his shades. He's by the beach. He's a Hollywood swinger. And he's got a special pot <laughs> ETF guest. Bob, take it away. Yeah, Alternative Harvest ETF, MJX is the symbol. Sam Masucci runs it. I've known this guy a long time, and you've run a lot of different ETFs, but you've, you've stepped in real pot here, my friend. They started December 26th. They had $5 million. Now they have almost $400 million. That's got to be one of the fastest-growing ETFs in history, no? I, I believe it's the second fastest grower ever. Yes. How, how, is there enough to invest in? Can, can you actually buy enough? marijuana stocks to have a, a half a billion dollar ETF fund? Well, you can. This is made up of uh, 30 stocks around the globe. Each has a minimum cap value of 200 million. They trade 500,000 shares minimum per day. And uh, the business is growing. The companies entering it are growing. Companies like Scott's miracle Grow, uh, which is, uh, has vested 500 million in the space. So yeah, we see this as a Tremendous but, investment. But the smaller, I don't mean Scott's Miracle Grow, but the pot stocks, don't you sure. move them when you start moving hundreds of millions of dollars? And they're small. Uh, they were widely held. Um, we've pulled them together. 
Um, and I think our, our, our index partner, Prime Index, is very good at making sure that we have enough breath in the index. Um, look at GW Pharmaceuticals, right? The number one uh, medication for children's epileptic seizures. I mean, it's, it's been widely held. This is the first time mm -hmm. to own it within an ETF. Now, not to throw a, a kink into this happy story, but Jeff Sessions, our attorney general, has said he doesn't like this idea, <laughs> and he said he's not going to look the other way. Uh, what happens if we get uh, a bunch of federal troops storming in and shutting down your companies? Right. Uh, well, first of all, um, the, uh, the majority of our companies are outside the U.S., Canada, U.K., South Korea, uh, Switzerland. So we'll continue to own companies, obviously, internationally, but com U.S. companies like Philip Morris, uh, Scott's miracle Grow, firms like that that are benefiting through hydroponics and things. You're going to offshore. You're just going to move outside the United States if they start Well, we'll continue to participate in those companies that are largest. And right now, the largest piece is outside the U.S., but 28 states now have approved medicinal marijuana. 16 more have it on the docket for this year. You know, you're, you're, you're treating things like PTSD, cancer, uh, epilepsy. Uh, these things are, you know, these, these advancements within uh, the cannabis plant are not going away. You think, though, the chances that Session's going to actually, your companies are going to get shut down? Small, significant, large chance? What do you, how do you rate this? Um, I think at, at best it probably impacts, uh, the, it doesn't impact the medicinal side, maybe it's the recreational side. But there's, there's so many medical advancements now happening with the cannabinoid oils and the uses of the plan. I don't see that going Before away. Before I let you go, you do a lot of thematic investing hack. Your cybersecurity ETF did really well. The gaming one, GAMR, Gamer, yes. did really well. You were approached a number of times for Bitcoin ETFs. You turned everybody right. down. Why do you turn them down? Well, we have because, one, we're not comfortable with uh, the SEC's review of how they want to regulate it. Um, and two, we, we just can't uh, explain the, the, the volatility uh, within Bitcoin. And until we're comfortable with it and we know how to trade it, um, we don't see ourselves getting involved. I think that's exactly what the SEC has been saying. Sam Masuch, you've known you a long time. You, you stepped in gold on this one. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll talk again thank soon. You, Bob. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani at the Inside ETFs conference. Let's trade this. Uh, you know, Bob was bringing up a good point. Uh, an ETF of that size, is there enough supply out there? And is it in it yep. of itself moving these stocks? It's absolutely moving these stocks. There's no question it's moving these stocks. I mean, you look at the market cap and a lot of these names, it's pushing them around and it's going to continue to until you start to see more companies go public, these Canadian companies that are going public. But look, th this is a, a sector that you want to be invested in. I mean, the medical marijuana side, the, 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 it's unbelievable the sort of breakthroughs that they've had. You look at a company like TRST.CN, they are, they are an amazing company. And below 15 bucks, I think you just scoop it up. I think mean, it is interesting that you have to go outside and all these companies are Canadian companies. But Scott's miracle Grow is the one that sticks out. Everyone knows that one. But I would definitely play it with an ETF. HMMJ is the other Canadian ETF. Horizons Marijuana. That's the one I would do it with. But you can't buy single stocks. I think it's a little too risky at this point. What you, oh, I have one. Is this a would you rather? Yes. I love this game. Go with play with Dan now. Fresh money right now. Would you rather buy any cryptocurrency or a basket of pot stocks? Uh, I'd probably much rather do the cryptocurrency. I think it's just a much bigger market at the end of the day, especially if you're focused on currencies or, or coins that are really thinking about blockchain disintermediating some existing business. So to me, that's where I Or smoke a lot yeah. of pot, then buy a lot of crypto. Could be a thing. No? I hope not. Well, I think the disruption is important to look at. Disruption of medical companies, disruption of big cap pharma. I mean, this is a big disruptor that people have to pay attention to. It's going to absolutely shake up some of these industries within, you know, subsectors of pharma. All right. For more on the weed trade, let's bring in our very own pot master. 
Tim Seymour. He joins us from Hollywood with his shades. Oh boy. Hey, Tim. Really? <laughs> Hi, Mel. How are you? Good. Is that my I, new moniker? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, you know, I'm going to pose the same okay. question to you as I did just to Dan, because you actually, you're in Ethereum and you're in pot stocks, but fresh money right now, what's a better bet in your view? Uh, look, I, I think valuation-wise, it's a lot easier for me to get my handle on what's going on in the cannabis space. And whether it's the biopharma element, whether it's the wellness element, I think these are valuations. I'm not going to tell you that in many cases, if you look at Canopy or Aurora or AFRI or even GW Pharma, which was talked about, these are not cheap companies, but I, I think in some cases they're companies that haven't begun even to price in what is, I think, efficacy on a lot of the, 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 the pain relief. And, and whether it's epilepsy or whether it's industries that actually really are starting to find applications for this, that's the story here. And it's not, to me, all about recreational. In fact, I think the recreational legalization in Canada has been a catalyst, but I think the medical side of it has certainly been a big deal. You're seeing a lot of M&A last week. Aurora did a big deal. Um, Afria did a big deal. And so if you invest in some of these ETFs, um, especially you know, if you look at the, 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 the IBB, look, the top four names in that make up 30, 40, 50 percent. It's the same thing you're going to see in some of these names. Those names, Medrelief, Canopy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Afria, Medrelief, they, they are four, five, six billion dollar companies. And right now, that's one way to get good exposure. And when you're taking a look at these individual stocks, Tim, is it important to you that these stocks are, are based or most of their business is in Canada versus the United States, given the uncertainty around what Jeff Sessions might or might not do? I think people that are investing are obviously investing carefully. I think it's also creating a huge opportunity. Jeff Sessions has done a lot of people that are already investing in the space a huge favor, but I think making valuations a little bit more interesting. My, my view is if you listen to 17 attorney generals um, that have in the last week written, uh, you know, written Washington and, and pointed out just how important this business is to their states, how independent they were told they were going to be allowed to be, and, and I think this is exactly what's going on. I, I you know, look, uh, Jeff Sessions may have an agenda, but uh, it's one that I don't think is consistent with an administration that ran on states' rights. And, and I, therefore, I think this is a, a final cry. I think people that are investing in the cannabis space, though, um, can invest in Australia. They can invest in, 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 in Asia. They can invest mm -hmm. in Canada. There's plenty of places to invest. And you can then look at names like GW Pharma or those that have cannabinoid uh, influences that I think are very, very attractive now. All right, Tim, thank you. I hope you didn't lose your luggage this year like you did last year. Tim Seymour. I didn't bring it. That's, that, oh. that's how I don't lose <laughs> that, that's, it. Yeah, smart. No yeah. luggage. You know, quick. I, I'll make a quick point. Look, New Jersey, it's coming into play in New Jersey. Wait until every Wall Street executive who lives in New Jersey watches the lines at these, at these cannabis stores. When that starts to build up and they see the opportunity, Wall Street's going to eat this up even more than they have already. Still ahead. Major drug deal on the street as Celgene agrees to buy Juno for $9 billion. What will be the next big biotech deal? The traders will weigh in. Plus, Dan Nathan here stepping up to the plate, delivering the pitch for one chip stock. That's up 38% in the past year. But will the other traders buy in? That is next. Much more Fast Money right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Less than one month ago, Dan said AutoNation was going to break out. When I, think, when I think about the potential for this tax bill to be cut for them, what it does to their valuation, and then you think about the optionality with this Waymo deal, I think autonomous driving is going to be a massive investment theme for years to come. And I think next year you may find stocks like AutoNation catch a bid. 
They certainly did. The stock is up 17% since that call. So what do you do now, Dan? Yeah, I mean, listen, this happened in the last month or so. The stock's up 52% or so from its 52-week lows. I think you take the trade. I just didn't like the way it was acting after they made the announcement of their Waymo deal. I think the market now appreciates it. So to me, 52 to 60 in less than a month, I take it. All right, so Dan's on a roll, so why don't you head over to the plasma, Dan? Sure. Give us another home run idea. Come on, Dan. All right, so for the power pitch, am I hitting it out of the, the park? Fast or am I pitching pitch. it in the park, guy? Fast um, pitch. Here's the deal. Let's take a look at a chip stock here that's actually underperforming its group so far year to date. The SMH, that's a semiconductor um, ETF, is up about 9% year to date. But Broadcom, AVGO, is only up about 2%. Actually closed pretty poorly today, but there's some stuff going on here, some of the reasons why I think it's underperforming. They are trying to buy quality. Qualcomm. Qualcomm is trying to buy NXPI. The whole thing's a big mess. I don't know anything what's going on. I don't think any of those people know anything that's going on. Um, but the stock is kind of stuck here, and that's the I believe the reason for the underperformance. But here's three reasons why I think you should take a look at the stock at 262 bucks right here. First and foremost, I think the stock goes up whether they get the Qualcomm deal or not. So to me, I think that the, you know, the main reason for that is valuation. It's trading below a market multiple, less than 14 times. But the stock is expected to grow, the company is expected to grow earnings uh, close to 20% on like 18% sales growth in fiscal year 2018. So on a PE to growth, the stock is pretty cheap. And then lastly, just on the technical setup here, Despite the underperformance, I think we have a chart. Um, if you look at it on a one-year basis here, this has been some pretty good support. That's 260 down to about 255. That's also the intersection of the uptrend from the 52-week lows. Like Mel said earlier, the stock has been up about 38% over the last year, obviously outperforming the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, but it has underperformed its index. So to me, I think this stock, 262, is a good buy here. They're going to report in late February. Maybe you get some resolution about the M&A. But to me, I don't think the M&A matters, and I don't know anything, um, but I think it goes up one way or another. Dan, I know you say it doesn't matter, and I tend to agree with you. However, is there a circumstance where, listen, Qualcomm said you were severely undervaluing us. Is there a situation you see where Broadcom might overpay and then hurt their own stock? Uh, I don't think they're going to overpay, but there's uh, some other things. This company is kind of coming back to the U.S. from Singapore, so I think there may be some other politics involved in it. I don't think they're going to overpay. They've been very savvy about M&A over the last few years. So to me, I think, you know, I you just don't know. We don't know. Let's go on fundamentals. The fundamentals look pretty good. I just want to make one other point. They're a 7% customer to Apple. Some of their suppliers have been selling off. One that sold off initially after posting bad results was Taiwan Semiconductor TSM. Go look at that one. It's been a rocket ship in the last week and a half since they reported. So to me, I think that a lot of the bad news about Apple's guide may be in the stock. All right. Time to vote. Are you buying Dan's pitch on Broadcom, AVGO, Grasso? So I think Dan touched on something when he started out his pitch. I, there's something troubling with semis. I'm going to say sell semis, not just this one, all of them. And I did like, I like Micron in the space, but all these charts seem to be rolling over. So I think you got to wait a little bit to see if they prove themselves again. But it sounds like semis could be sick. Look, I, well, I think it's the concern over the Apple supply chain about Apple iPhone sales. I'm a buyer of Broadcom. I'm going to stick with Dan on this one. I think that you can see a little near-term consolidation, but long-term, this story's intact. It's a very crowded trade. But for good reason. I think the stock continues to work. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Dan as well. Because you know what? Broadcom might be looking to buy something. There might be a bigger fish out there that says, Could you be. know what? Could be. I like uh, Broadcom. AVGO will get you done. So, yeah, oh, valuation makes sense. Oh, instead. Huh? Yeah, so, okay. Darwin isn't. All right. So, one sell, uh, two buyers. Are you buying Dan's pitch on Broadcom? You can log on to Twitter right now. Vote in our poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results later in the show. Plus... 
Juno soaring after Celgene says it will buy the company for $9 billion. Which stock will be the next big biotech target? The traders will weigh in much more fast right after this. We've got a news alert on Ackman's Pershing Square. Let's get to Leslie Picker in the newsroom. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. That's right. I'm hearing from sources that about 18% of his firm has been laid off. Now, keep those numbers in mind. It's about 56 employees to 46 employees. So laying off about 10 people. Only one of those people, I'm told, uh, is an investment professional. He told uh, those who were laid off on Friday and planned to announce at a client meeting uh, on Thursday the restructuring of the firm. Uh, it's in response. I mean, half of the assets. Uh, Pershing Square is managing about half of the assets that they managed in 2015. So as a result, they don't really need as much uh, back office personnel. Uh, Bill, as a result of this restructuring, plans to spend more time investing, less time uh, marketing, which, as you know, has largely been the face of the firm. Uh, there have been some redemptions at the end of the year, I'm told, but that was not uh, particularly the year-end event that catalyzed these restructurings. As you know, uh, he's posted losses for the last three years now. So you're starting to see uh, the firm kind of rethink and refocus its strategy from here. Melissa? All right, Leslie, thank you, Leslie Picker. Um, and just going back on some of Bill Ackman's investments, it's interesting, his later ones, he wanted to be more focused. He wanted to swing for the fences. You're smirking. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just smiling. No, go ahead, continue. <laughs> I am smirking. It is a smirk. You're right. Why? <laughs> Why? I, it's, in, it's incredible. He's had a string of losers now. I mean, yeah. it's been a multi-year period. Yeah, we still talk, and right. listen, he's a brilliant man, but at a certain point, you know, it becomes a pattern. So I'm smirking because, you know, the fact that we continue to talk about somebody who's had a series of, I mean, he's worse than I am, which is saying something. So Chipotle is one that comes to mind. Chipotle, uh, Ch Chipotle repeatedly comes has to its mind. issues. I mean, there are many, yeah, you know? I mean, just his timing has been horrible now the last three or four years, frankly. Yeah. ADP was the last week. Well, here, he spent a lot of time we were, being the face of the from, ADP trade. From, from uh, Greenlight, I mean, this, this is a tough strategy right now. Activism is a tough yeah, strategy in this sort of market. Uh, valuation is indiscriminate. You know, the, things are going up. So to me, you know, I'm sure he'll be back. It's been a tough, uh, tough road yeah. to go. All right, biotech ETF IBB rallying for its best day since June 21st of last year, thanks to two big deals announced today. Mac Charles back at headquarters to break down today's biotech deal bonanza. What, $20 billion, huh? $20 billion. Talk about a merger Monday, Mel. Those are in biotech deals in just one day today. We'll start off with Sanofi acquiring BioVerative. That company spun out of Biogen about a year ago, just around $45. Now it's being snapped up for $105 a share. That's $11.6 billion in total deal value. The deal gives Sanofi two marketed drugs for hemophilia. They're brought in about $850 million in 2016 revenue for BioVerative. Sanofi cites a $10 billion market for hemophilia drugs, but investors worry about increasing competition from Roche and potential one-time gene therapies on the horizon. So you saw Sanofi down a little bit today on that. And the day's other deal saw Celgene acquiring its partner Juno Therapeutics for $87 a share, or about $9 billion. That's after Celgene spent $93 a share in 2015 to acquire about 10% of the company. Company. Juno's in third place behind Novartis and Gilead's Kite in bringing personalized cancer immunotherapies to market. But Celgene estimates Juno will get approval of its first drug next year and that it'll bring in $3 billion in peak annual sales. So the bull thesis in biotech, of course, is that it's open season for M&A with lots of big companies with cash to spend and older decaying franchises to replace. And there are, of course, a wealth of biotech targets around with new technologies valued between $2 billion and $10 billion. Mel. So we'll see if that thesis plays out. All right, Meg, thank you.
Meg Terrell back at headquarters. Well, there's plenty, uh, been plenty of talk about deals to come in the biotech space, so we thought we'd ask our traders to play a little matchmaker here. Our traders will pick two biotech names who they think would make the perfect match. So let's start with you, Grasso. So the market tells you more often than not where the next target is going to be. And this is no secret. Bluebird has been out there as a, as a potential takeover uh, target. And when you look at the normal guys that should take them out, I think I'm going to go outside the box and say Pfizer should take them out. It's a little bit out of their area. And I think that this would make a, a, an uncharacteristic M&A. Well, I agreed about the Bluebird. Bluebird is the next one, in my opinion, to get taken out. I think it's Gilead that takes them out. Uh, and I look at the scarcity of value with Bluebird. I think it's an amazing gene editing, gene sequencing company, along with CAR-T. You look at a, a Gilead taking them out, you can see a you know, 12 times multiple on that. It's $126 a share Does for Gilead. Is Celgene a partner with Bluebird? So would they be an obstacle to any of these deals being done? I don't think so. No. Not at all. No. Me or Dan? I don't have one. Dan is refraining. Oh, you don't have one? Dan's refraining. Out. Then I'll, I'll <laughs> play. Pass or play, I'll play. So Tesoro, T-S-R-O kind. I mean, the stock has had a string of bad news since the fall. Now it's trading in the mid-60s, having been trading in the 150s. What's the point? Better to buy these stocks when they're down than to try to have to pay up for them. They'll still have to pay a premium. I think Pfizer will be the company that comes in. T-S-R-O has an ovarian cancer drug that works. They've fallen on hard times, but look at what their CEO has done over the last 10 years. He has sold companies before. I think he's going to do it again. Yeah, just real quickly, just look at that IBB. You know, I mean, that thing looks like it's ready to break out. If you're going to get this M&A cycle that everyone's been waiting for, that thing should be back above 120 pretty soon. All right, well, in the midst of this biotech bounce, options traders are betting an even bigger rally for another name in the space. Let's get to Mike Poe in Austin to break it down. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So not looking necessarily at some kind of a match, but we're looking at Allergan, actually, which saw two times the average daily call volume. The most active were the February 195 calls. Over 2,000 of those traded for an average price of about $2.10. So these folks are making a bet that Allergan can recover and will bounce by 5% or more by February expiration. What's going on? It's the fiddler on the violin. roof back there. The fiddler on the roof. Oh, it's a fiddler. Match, matchmaker, yeah. yeah fiddler. It's a fiddler. Yeah. If I were a rich of... man, I'd be trading options. Pete would have loved <laughs> a fiddler on the roof. Pete knows all the show all, He knows all the lyrics. It's amazing. Fantastic. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe, go hang out with the fiddler there. Um, for more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, Twitter in trouble. The stock sinking down about 8% in the past week. And now a top executive might be jumping ship. We've got the details. Plus, are you buying what Dan Nathan is selling? Long into the aforementioned Twitter and log on to, I should say. Vote in our poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results at the end of the show. Much more fast straight ahead. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Twitter. Uh, taking a hit on reports that COO Anthony Noto could be leaving the social media giant. Let's get to Julia Borson in L.A. with the very latest. Hi, Julia. Melissa, Anthony Noto, Twitter COO, is in talks to take the CEO job at Social Finance or SoFi, an online lender. This according to a source familiar with the situation. No comment from Twitter or SoFi, but our source says terms of the CEO role are, role are still being negotiated and that Noto is likely to make a decision in the next few days. SoFi has been looking for a new CEO since its founder, Mike Cagney, left the role in September following a sexual harassment scandal. SoFi, as it looks to an eventual IPO, is likely drawn to Noto's track record. He was a banker at Goldman Sachs and then CFO of Twitter through its IPO. 
Losing Noda would be a blow to Twitter, especially considering that CEO Jack Dorsey splits his time between Twitter and Square, and Noda has led Twitter's focus on video. Evercore analyst Anthony DiClemente warning, quote, our concern is that should Mr. Noda depart, investors may not ascribe similar confidence in a replacement lacking the unique combination of established track record within Twitter and previous Wall Street experience. Now, Twitter shares are up about 36 percent since the company's last earnings beat expectations, and Twitter provided stronger-than-expected guidance for a profitable fourth quarter. Now, much of Twitter's progress is ascribed to Noto. Raymond James analyst Aaron Kessler saying that Noto has a reputation for putting in better organization and management. Melissa? All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. Dan, is this a real problem for Twitter if Noto goes? Uh, it, it depends. I mean, they don't want a long, drawn-out process. I mean, listen, uh, Noto's the man. Everyone loves him. I'll just say this. So Jack's the CEO of two companies. Here's what I would do. I would actually bring uh, Adam Bain, the ex-COO, back, make him co-CEO of Twitter. And then Jack's also the CEO of Square, right? I'd make Sarah Fryer the co-CEO of Square. And then Jack can just keep going right down the middle. Mm. Interesting. Mm? Yeah, but it doesn't stem their, their issues with users. I mean, they get a user growth issue. They get an ad, I mean, no ad buyer wants to invest on the Twitter platform. I mean, they're looking at all the other venues. You look at mobile and you talk about video. You talk about Google. You look at Facebook even. I mean, every ad buyer is still gravitating toward those platforms. Unfortunately, for Twitter's sake, they haven't been able to really capture that. And I, I think losing Noto will impact that greatly, at least in the near term. All right. Up next, final trades. What is the soundtrack of sorrow and pain? Oh, Tony Braxton's life. on Break My Heart, and that's because America's not buying Dan's pitch for Broadcom. Sorry, Dan. Time for the final trade. Steve Gross is crushed. Let's stay consistent. <laughs> HMMJ, that's that marijuana cannabis ETF. HMMJ. 32. Same with healthcare team. App V, Biovac V, they are all over me over here. That Melissa Lee. Biovac V. You know, that is the soundtrack of my life. Um, I think Vago's a good bet here. Key. The TSRO will get you done. All right, I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 more 32. fast. Mad Money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.